The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game, I should say, if you want to drive with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. The future of cars with Game Changers. What's the buzz? Well, I found an interesting interesting quote here, I think, in IndustryWeek.com from four years ago, actually Valentine's Day four years ago. The factory of the future, the smart factory, think about that, is a paradise of efficiency where defect and downtime Waste and waiting are long-forgotten issues of a long-forgotten age. The future factory represents the absolute pinnacle of technological and manufacturing development. That's that's a lot of words and that's a lot of hope, a lot of hopefully wisdom and good stuff. So what are we talking about today? Everyone's talking about smart cars. Come on, you can't pick up an industry magazine. You hardly can pick up a newspaper. Tune into something. Somebody's talking about a self-driving car, an autonomous car, cars that are hopefully smarter than we are on the road. You see people sitting there looking out over this fabulous windshield and the car is just doing everything for them. Great. Self-driving, always connected, makes life easier, we hope. But, but back up, back up. Where do these come from? Come on. It's technology, hopefully at its best. It's smart. Is it a miracle? I don't know. But it's got to come from somewhere. Where is this all put together? And going back to my quote, we're going to look today at smart factories. That's right. They're made possible by the automotive industry's Digital transformation, another major theme here on all of our Game Changers radio shows, digital transformation. So the factory of the future is here, and it's already using IoT, that's Internet of Things, big data. It's just data today for most people because we know it's big and there's so much of it. And Eventually, we're going to drop the word big. How about advanced analytics? How about new shop floor control systems that ensure the factory is in compliance? They can trace things back and forth, traceability. What about quality and cost? Cost containment. What does this mean to you? What does this mean to your life, your industry, your culture, the world? We have a panel of three experts who are going to talk about it. And if you haven't guessed, our topic today is smart factories, smart cars, smart drivers. We'll throw the human element in to make it more interesting. Let me tell you who's on the panel and then we'll get started. First up, I'm pleased to welcome the sponsor of this series, always our car guy, our go-to car guy, Larry Stoley, a senior global director of automotive marketing at SAP, joined today by Kimberly. She said I can call her Kim. Kim Nickel, K-N-I-C-K-L-E, research VP in IDC's manufacturing group. Always happy to have IDC on board. And rounding out the panel is another frequent guest here, Mike Lackey, global VP of solution management, line of business manufacturing at SAP. So Larry 
Stoli has sent me a quote from James Dyson. If you don't know who James Dyson is, think about the bagless vacuum cleaner, the dual cyclone. That's right, the Dyson. Sir James Dyson, he's a young kid born in 1947, British inventor, industrial designer, and founder of the Dyson Company. He also, his first invention was the ball barrow. Think of a wheelbarrow with a ball instead of a wheel. You can look it up and learn more. Here's the quote. Manufacturing is more than just putting parts together. It's coming up with ideas, testing principles, and perfecting the engineering as well as final assembly. Larry Stoley, how are you? I am well, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for putting this together. Interesting topic. It's like uh, I wanted to open the show, Larry, by saying, where do babies come from? You know, i got to come from somewhere. <laughs> well, where do car babies come from? From a factory, and today it has to be smart. So, Larry, interesting quote from James Dyson. Do you have a, uh, a Dyson vacuum cleaner, may I ask? I believe I do. Sounds like Jay Leno would... Believe I'm I thinking do. of thinking of you as Jay Leno with a, with a whole warehouse full of cars, and you've got so many vacuum cleaners. Okay, we'll have you go check and see if there's a Dyson in there. Tell me why this quote is so important for our topic today, Larry. Well, you know, for me, it, it's it's less about who said it, but more about what he said. And, and the, in keeping in the concept of connected manufacturing, smart factories, and that, you know, we all know that the. the value of those things, the efficiencies and so on and so forth that can get, can be gained. But I look at what he said and I come back to it's coming up with ideas. And coming up with ideas is not about manufacturing, it's about what's being manufactured. That's the basis. And you take a good idea, then you make it smart, you make it efficient, and you make it at a good price point, now you've got something people will pay for. But at the end of the day, you go back to the smart idea, and that's driven by listening to customers. Manufacturing in and of itself, who cares? It's about manufacturing efficiently, effectively, and in the right cost model, things people want. That's it. That's the bottom line. Larry, quick question for you. A smart factory for smart cars. Can, I'm going to use this word uh, advisedly, you can hit me on the side of the head if it's wrong. Can regular cars be manufactured in the same smart factory where smart cars are being born? Oh, sure. Okay. Just wanted to know if we need separate fa- separate factories for the smart cars. Oh, no, that's the- about efficiency. Okay, very interesting. I don't know. Maybe somebody else had that question, too. Thank you, Larry. Let's now bring on Kim Nickel, Research VP in IDC's Manufacturing Group. Excuse me. And Kim has sent us a quote from Navy Rear Admiral Grace Hopper. I'm sure most people in my age range have heard the name, but some of our younger, very younger listeners around the world may not. It's Grace Brewster Murray Hopper. Murray was her maiden name. She lived from 1906 to 1992. She was an American computer scientist. That's right, a girl who liked computers, uh-huh, like me and a lot of other people, and a U.S. Navy Rear Admiral. Admiral, in 1944, Grace Hopper was one of the first programmers of the Harvard Mark I computer. She invented the first compiler for a computer programming language. She popularized the idea of machine-independent programming languages, which led to the development of COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, all caps in case you're a newbie, one of the first high-level programming languages. There is a ship named after her her and she was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom last year, November 22nd, 2016, by President Barack Obama. Here is the quote that Kim has picked, and this is a good one. The most damaging phrase in the language is, we've always done it this way. Kimberly Nickel, welcome back to Game Changers. How have you been? 
Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on today. Happy to be here. We're delighted. I love the quote, and there's so much. You know, uh, Kim, Grace Hopper means a lot to me because I was a COBOL programmer analyst for many, many years back in the mid-'70s. I shouldn't even uh, shouldn't even go back that far. Back in the days of key punch card decks when a computer room was this huge, looked like a warehouse with the, the magnetic tiles on the floor that you picked up with, with a great big handle that had two magnets on either end and flashing lights way back in the day. So COBOL was what I ate, slept, and drank for many years, and so. I I say posthumously thank you also to Grace Hopper. So tell me why you picked this quote, Kim. Well, um, first of all, Grace is a wonderful source for many quotes. Uh, And so I I love to look through what she has said and written. She's also the person who said it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. So so Uh just just so you know, take a look at some of the things she's said and done. Um, I picked it because I think it's really true about the manufacturing industry that we have to we have to um, not assume that the way we're doing things today or yesterday is the way we want to be able to do them in 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 the future. And I think that the easiest way to sum it up is that's what digital business transformation is all about: is looking uh, for a new way to do things, to make things, and to serve the customers. Okay, very, very interesting. And and do you think that when I was asking Larry a moment ago, Kim, I was asking him if the same factories that are spawning or birthing, maybe I shouldn't use that word, giving rise to smart cars can also be the place where regular cars, I won't say dumb cars, but not smart cars are born. Do you think that, that part of that process was, well, you don't have to have the same old factory just because it's not a smart, smart, self-driving, autonomous car. We can take this factory. We don't have to do it the same old way. We can refit it, retool it so that we're smarter about making regular cars. Do you think that might have been in their mind? Somebody's? Uh, I think, yeah, I think so. It, it, and there are, there are quite a few different you know, aspects to what you're saying. Um, I mean, one of them is the fact that absolutely a greenfield factory is a lot easier to make more efficient and to use for, you know, smart to create and produce smart connected cars. Um, but, you know, manufacturers have millions of dollars invested in their existing assets and they're going to have um, to use those and to leverage those to create the product of the future. Thank you very much, Kim, and a pleasure to have you back. And shout out to our good friends at IDC for always sending us such wonderful, smart thought leaders like you. And now let's round out the panel by introducing our third guest today, Mike Lackey, Global VP of Solution Management, LLB Manufacturing at SAP. And Mike has sent us a quote from William Grosvenor Pollard, 1911 to 1989. Interesting guy. He was a physicist as well as an Episcopal priest, started his career as a professor of physics in 1936 at the University of Tennessee, and in 1946, Pollard championed the organization of the Oak Ridge Institute of Nuclear Studies, known as ORINS. He was his executive director until 1974, and he was ordained as a priest in 1954. A very interesting guy. Here is the quote. Without change, there is no innovation, creativity, or incentive for improvement. Those who initiate change will have a better opportunity to manage the change that is inevitable. He was a smart guy. Mike Lackey, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Now that uh, the hives have, have went down on, on my arm from the words compiler and key punch, I, I'm doing well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> 
Oh, you have to explain that. Did I make you? Did, was those good? Were those good memories or bad memories, Mike? <laughs> oh, those were many nights at the computer center and you know you back too? At the university trying you to get something too? to compile or key or get the key punch to work. So that's uh, telling our age, but uh, oh you know, kind dear, of, I, kind I, of I a, knew I. I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. Listen, I think we're in good company today. I think Kim is probably our youngster today. Uh, Mike, one quick question. Did you ever have to write your own compiler, make up a brand new compiler for a nonsense language that didn't exist? I bet you did. I did not. I was very I fortunate did. that I didn't have to do that. That was one of my exercises in class. I actually have a degree in computer programming and one in uh, uh, operations. I have two degrees and after another degree in something else. Very, very interesting. So, Mike Lackey, I love the quote from William Grovesner Pollard. That's a long name. Uh, I think the, the, the guts of this quote to me are those who initiate change will have a better opportunity to manage the change that is inevitable. Almost sounds like a tautology where change is almost on a Mobius strip and it keeps going around and around. It will change, it will change, it will change. And we know that's one of the inevitabilities. So talk to me about why you picked this quote for our topic today, smart cars, smart factories, and smart drivers. Well, you know, being an engineer and focusing on manufacturing, I, you know, you're influenced by a lot of books that, that you read. And what I like here is you get two choices, either get in the game or stand on the sideline. And if you stand on the sideline, you know, don't complain. And the, the companies that are innovating, you know, it's kind of the innovators dilemma here. The ones that innovate create the market. And you keep asking the question, can you produce smart cars and normal cars? The true mm-hmm. question should be asked, what's a normal car today? Yes. Every car has some level of, of intelligence built into it. And, you know, the more we, we look at the change, um, that the car of today is changing, right? And how do we manufacture that? How do you have that traceability? It, to me, is key. Uh, you know, I was with a colleague of mine in Germany, and his new you know, car he just got, he takes his hands off of it going down the Autobahn and says, look, it can drive itself. It starts leaning to the right. It picks up the line and self-correct itself. Well, what if that car wasn't online? What if something went wrong and he does that and the car doesn't correct itself? We'd still be in the, you know, the ditch today. So, um you know, change is inevitable, and we need to embrace it, and we need to drive it, because it, the, the true winner is the consumer, the end customer, when we push ourselves to, to initiate change and to, uh, uh, you know, to drive change. To drive change. That's a very interesting uh, double entendre there. I like that a lot. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, somebody I know recently pulled up at a, a family party. I think it was a brand new Honda Civic. And somebody else looked at me and said, ah, that's probably the car he's going to give to his second teenage daughter when it's time for her to get a driver's license. Because I said, why? He said, well, because it's almost a self-driving car. It has so many corrections. If you veer out of your lane, it puts the car back in the lane. If it sees a pedestrian, it comes to a stop. If if it's on uh, autopilot, you know, uh, auto control, and it sees the traffic has slowed, it will know that in advance to slow down gracefully without getting near an accident ahead. So you're right. What is a normal car today? A normal car is probably cars like mine that are sports cars that are 10 years old that are still adorable and have nothing smart about them other than they're, they're fun to drive. Can we agree on that, Mike? We can agree on that. <laughs> but that's a car of yesterday, not a car of today. I know. Makes me vintage. Some people call that shabby chic, but I'm going to resist that term. Let's go back around the table here to Larry Stoley. Larry, quickly, where are you calling from? I'm hesitant to ask the weather because I know it's really rainy and yucky here in New York. Where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today that makes you smile? 
Well, I'm calling from my home office. I'm very lucky to be home officed. You know, I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it and look the way I want to look. So um, home office, uh, it is rainy here as well. Um, expecting a little sleet, a little snow, that kind of stuff. So it's a typical winter day. My coffee cup, Bonnie, as you well know, is filled oh, with yeah. Folgers. The coffee cup is a Yeti cup, and I, you know, I don't burn my coffee like most Americans are accused, accused of doing. It's hot, and I'm in the Yeti. I am constantly reminded of how hot it is. So, you know, that's kind of me, plain, simple, black, and hot. <laughs> this is this is this is not a single stating hotline. I promise anybody listening, <laughs> Larry. That's that's wonderful to know. Thank you very much, Larry Stoli. Always a pleasure. Kim Nickel, where are you, and what makes you smile when you pick up that cup? I am outside of Boston in my home office because it is snowing like crazy here, uh, and uh, in my cup uh, I have green tea and. Um, I am smiling because it's making me healthy. How's that sound? I like that. I like people who say they smile because they are healthy. Sometimes we get somebody with a, a green drink, uh, Kim. They describe a green drink, and I always think of when they're talking about how awful it is but how healthy it makes them feel. I'm thinking, well, the happiness is coming down the road when they actually get to be healthy but not at the moment. So I'm glad your green tea, green tea makes you smile. Thank you, Kim. And Mike Lackey, where art thou and what's in your cup today? Well, I'm in uh, beautiful Miami. It's about 80 degrees, no snow, no rain, beautiful sunny sky. So um, I think I'm the lucky one on this group here. Unfortunately, I'm in the hotel room. Uh, and the only thing I can tell you is Green Mountain. It's the cups and it was in the room, and the mug is about as, about as plain as it can be. But um, the beauty of it is I'm in Miami meeting with a number of Latin America automotive suppliers, on this oh. very topic is where is the future of car manufacturing going? And uh, it's been a great discussion. I have two days with them. So, uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate today. Very, very interesting. Well, I'm glad. Bravo. Somebody has sunshine and more temps. We're not ready for that here in the Northeast, as I said. Long Island, New York. Rainy Pluey, that's French for rain. I am only allowed to have non-caffeine beverages on radio show days. This is a doubleheader of a show an hour after this one. So I have my Cool Clear mug with a Cool Clear cool clear water that's it and a pink straw in hopes that the sun will come back please 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 our topic today smart factories smart cars smart drivers maybe we want to add to that smart brainy people who understand smart manufacturing larry i think we need to extend the title of this episode we need a lot more smart in here so i'm bonnie d graham very happy to be here by the way if you're tuning in this is season two episode number two yes i do keep track of the future of cars with game changers radio we're thrilled that larry stoley had so so much good feedback and so many good thought leader panel discussions on season one that he is back for 2017. We're delighted. If you're keeping track also, it's Tuesday, February 7, 2017, and we are here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have so much more to talk about. Michael, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Future of cars is actually already here. We're talking today about smart factories, smart cars, smart drivers, and I'm going to add smart thinkers to that one. A lot of smart going on. Larry Stoley from SAP, Kim Nickel at IDC Manufacturing Group, and Mike Lackey also at SAP. Larry's going to start the roundtable. Larry, you sent me some very interesting, rather provocative notes here, and let me just put a couple together and you can expand. Number one, you say technology has replaced many jobs planning, for instance, and we're not going back. You also say we spend a lot of time talking about job losses, about bringing jobs home. Great topics of significance, importance. So how does it all relate to smart factories? Are jobs going away? Are people inventing the machines and robots that are populating the smart factories? Where are the jobs in the smart factory world for smart cars, Larry? Well, this is an interesting one that's that's very close to me. And, and before I get into this, I want to really take a second and say, uh, with Kim from Boston and with Mike from Atlanta, great Super Bowl, guys. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, there, there are winners and losers, I understand that. But that one was riveting. So It was. It was riveting. Anyway, going, going to the, the question, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, as people in this country, as leaders of this country, and other countries as well. It's not just endemic in the U.S. But we talk about the loss of jobs. We talk about jobs going overseas and, and so on and so forth. And we talk about bringing them back and all of that uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, when you really stop and think about it, the loss of jobs is less about where they go, but more about technology putting an end to the jobs of yesterday. Uh, it kind of goes back to, to Kim's quote, doing the same thing we always did, you know. Uh, jobs are going to go away. Technology is going to replace them. We have humans working with robots instead of humans working with humans anymore. And basically technology is, is, is a job destroyer when you think about traditional jobs. But the huge, huge opportunity in this thing and this is where people have to, to really wake up and, and think about what they're all about. The opportunity is to learn, to, to, to gain different skills and contribute in different right, ways. Innovation, technology, robot design, plant design, 
product design. Those are where the, the real capital of the future is. It's not about screwing a nut on a bolt anymore. That's gone. The, the opportunity is so huge to retrain, to reinvest, and to develop those skills necessary to create innovation today. That's the future of manufacturing. It's not manufacturing putting things together. And I, I just get very, very passionate about retraining, relearning, redoing the things, taking a different approach to things that we've always done in a very mundane, very mundane, very repetitive way in the past. That's not here anymore. Let's move to the future. Let's let's be innovative. Let's learn. Let's do things differently. So that's kind of where I, I look at manufacturing in terms of the job thing. Opportunity, not so much loss. Interesting. Very, very uh, positive, optimistic. Kim Nickel at IDC, you're part of the manufacturing group there. What do you see? Agree or disagree with Larry? Um, I agree. Uh, and let me add some stats. I think uh, I think having some stats really uh, helps add to have some perspective here. There are about 250,000 manufacturing facilities in the U.S. Only about 10% of them have more than 500 employees. A lot of those happen to be automotive manufacturers, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, We have about 12 million manufacturers, uh, workers, employees uh, in the U.S. today. It's about 9% of the workforce. Um, Yes, the number of people um, working in the manufacturing industry may increase slightly. Um, The NAM says that we're going to have a shortage of about 2 million jobs uh, in the industry uh, you know, jobs that just can't be filled. And I say, you know, shame on the, man- the manufacturers. You're going to have to do some training to get the employees you want. Um, and just because manufacturing revenues go up doesn't mean that that hiring is going to go up at the same level. So I think that um, we have to we have to make sure that the employee of the future is someone who has all of the technology skills to make the the factory of the future work. And, and I agree with Larry, absolutely. It's a, it's a changing work environment. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so you're saying, you're agreeing with Larry, opportunity, retrain, uh, don't lose jobs, just make a, seize the opportunities and make sure you train. That goes back down into, we were talking about education a while ago, or at least the college years, Kim, you and, and Mike and Larry and I. So does that mean that colleges need to be training smarter future workers for these new factories? Where does it, where does it start? How far down in the, the evolution of people into the workforce, Kim? Well, you, you know, you're talking to a woman who would like to see more women join the industry. So... Um, I think it it should start down in elementary school, keeping all kinds of kids, boys, girls, um, you know, gender diversity, uh, ethnicity diversity, uh, and to find the kids who really will be excited to be in manufacturing. So just, you know, keep it open as early as possible. And I think um, a lot of it is about showing people how exciting and interesting the industry is, what kind of um, things they can do in the workforce and how they get to work with all sorts of new kinds of tools, and robotics is part of that. Interesting. A lot of optimism there, too. I like that. Mike Lackey, what do you think? Well, listen, I, I think Larry and Kim make some very good points. I'm going to contradict a little here, but I'm going to build on others here. First of all, it is I, I, I like what Kim stated. 
that we have to, and it's our job at SAP to make manufacturing fun again, that when they come into the shop floor, that they have the same experience they have when they go to Facebook or Amazon. You know, the, those days of the, gr- the gray screens, are have to, they're gone. It's a world of mobility and it's a world of automation. But to me, that what technology is not the, the job destroyer. Technology is the job enabler. The worker of the future is going to be different today. I mean, Larry's correct. You're not just going to screw on the bolt. There's a level of automation and complexity that these smart cars are driving through your manufacturing process. And the worker of the future has to be trained in how to maintain that automation, how to maintain those processes so that each car is configured the way it's designed for that individual consumer or that individual customer. And it has to have that level of compliance going forward. And that's what I love about technology. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the worker is going to change. And it's our job to enable those workers so that we can get this level of innovation that we're at the forefront in the automotive sector. Um, cars are more stylish. Cars are getting more fuel efficient. Cars, you know, this thing about the smart car, self-parking, self-driving, uh, you know, tell me where the nearest you know, restaurant is. Tell me where a parking place. All these things that we're seeing in cars today um, and in the future are going to require the, new, the worker of the future. And we have to step up and make that real for our customers today. Interesting. If I can just add there. So I think, I think, you know, part of what Mike's talking about is um, technology is integrated and, and embedded and a natural uh, experience for the way um, people will work in a factory in the future. So it's, it's not necessarily that they have to learn how to program COBOL on, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. key punch or anything, but, um, but they, they have to be, um, they have to be comfortable with using technology. And then there's an entire workforce who will need to maintain that technology and update that technology. So it, it's a, there are a few different um, scenarios, I think, for, for workers in the factory of the future. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Larry Stoll, you started this topic. What do you think, agree or disagree? And Mike just said, uh, and I think Kim agree, we all agree that the new factories, robotics, all of these innovations, digital transformation are job enablers, but that has to be acknowledged, that has to be grappled with, it has to be thought about, planned for. Larry, it's a, a big opportunity if people take it. What do you think? Well, you know, when we look at it, we look at it and say, yes, it is a big opportunity. But let me net it out from, from a personal perspective. I was a technician when I got out of school. I worked on cars. I had all the certifications. And this is way back in the, the 70s when cars were simple. I understood them. I particularly liked, you know, the elect- electrical side of, of automobiles. I was really into wiring and all that kind of stuff. Sure, I could rebuild an engine. I could put brakes on a car, shocks, that kind of stuff. And was certified to do all that. Really proud. Today, think about the change in just the simple technician's world. It's bizarre. I know what a technician does today. Could I do it? I can't even think about doing it. That's the kind of change we're going through. And as we go back and talk about all these things, it's huge. Kim said start early. And, and that's absolutely right. You start making manufacturing, you start making technology exciting to people, not just mm-hmm. the fluffy stuff, 
but the nuts and bolts of technology. Make it exciting. Make it rewarding. Make it fulfilling. And you start that in grade school. You start that in elementary school, and you start working that all the way through college. And people have to understand, that's not an easy path, but by golly, compared to, you know, uh, basket weaving and, and uh, you know, some of the other things, and, and I'm making fun here, uh, the, the rewards are huge, and, and they're so much more gratifying. And I just think the future is, is there for people who are willing to grab it. I, I agree. I think we're all in consensus on this one. There is a lot of opportunity, and I hear this great optimism. And, uh, Larry, this is a topic that needs to be instilled many, many times during this season, especially in regards to cars. So, Larry, I'm going to move on to some topics here from Kim Nichols' statement she sent me before the show. Let's see here. Kim, I like you've got some predictions in here, even though we're not at the crystal ball predictions part of the show yet. You say digital transformation in the automotive industry is about creating experience ecosystems. We'll talk about that in a second, where the product, meaning the car, becomes a platform through which new products and services are delivered. And your prediction is, and Kim, I'm going to let you fill this one out and then tell us, what is this experience ecosystem all about? So um, the idea is that the customer, or the, the consumer, really, um, looks at their car, looks at their vehicle as an experience. They don't think about it as, uh, as a way to drive from point A to B. They think about the, what they get out of that car. They think about the fact that it's, it's an experience in the car um, through the connectivity, through the fact that it's smart. Um, it might be for additional products and services that we haven't even thought about. So in the future, you know, one of those services may be the autonomous vehicle um, that we don't actually drive. It may be um, content. It may be that we get access to additional, you know, maps or videos or, you know, who knows, maybe we go to school in our cars as we go to work, uh, to and from work in the future, right? Um so it's a, it's an an ecosystem because it's not necessarily just the automotive OEM who's going to support that experience in the future. It may be through partners. It may be through the service channel. It may be through the dealer channel. Um, we we just don't know. Interesting, um, Kim. Let me let me put a little uh, question mark on this one. I talked about we're talking smart cars, smart factories, smart training, uh, smart manufacturing, smart digital transformation. Do you need to be a smart driver to understand this? If you talk to the quote unquote average person on the street, I have no idea who that would be today. I don't know. I don't know what an average or the no- older new normal is anymore. But if you talk to somebody just walking down the street, let's say somebody over sixty five who has a car, they might have an SUV. It's not too tricked out. You said to them, are you enjoying the experience of your car? Would they say, what do you mean? I put gas in it. I pay the insurance. I keep it in the garage. I go to the, I go to the bowling alley or I go to the baseball game and, and I take my, go to my family uh, for dinner on Sunday in another state. Would they understand that experience or is this for elevated mindsets? Pardon the expression. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know where I'm I going. enjoy I enjoy the experience of being in my car. I mean, I usually, I'd say 90% of the time, um, you know, even in traffic, I find a way to enjoy the experience. I put on my own music. I play my, um, 
my songs from my own iPhone. You know, I think that the idea is that you should be able to tailor the experience. So not necessarily that it's always going to be 100% positive, but we have some way to influence our own experience. (laughs) So the answer is they are enjoying the experience. They might not just use that nomenclature. They might just say, yeah, I'm having a great experience. It's like, yeah, I love my car. It's smooth. I have plenty of room for my family. Uh, uh, The the kids have room. My my mom has room to stretch out in the back seat. We have room for the car. So it is an experience. I think that my point is that it's a word that I think we talk about almost elitistly. Boy, that's a bad one. In an elite way. But people are part of that experience, whether they know it or not. I don't want to stretch the point. Let me see what Mike Lackey thinks about all this. Mike, the experience ecosystem, I love that thought that Kim introduced. Yeah, so I'm going to look at it differently. The experience ecosystem is, you know, how do you deliver that experience ecosystem, right, or ecosystem? A car is an extension of who we are. You know, it's just like, to me, it's like you get up and you put on your favorite jeans because that's an extension of who you are, your favorite shirt or your favorite, you know, dress or, or you know, whatever that, that makes it who you are. Your car is an extension of it. And what's the complexity that's creating here on, to me, in the factory is how do you deliver that experience to that customer? I mean, what Henry, you know, 100 years ago, Henry Ford was, you can have any car you want as long as it's blocked. That's right. Well, those cars don't sell today. Every car is being configured differently, whether it's coming off the production line or it's coming is happening at the factory. In fact, fact uh, at the dealer. In fact, dealers are coming extensions of the factory today. You know how, that whole ecosystem that is required to support that. Our cars are. You know, we're talking about them getting smart. There's more electronics in in cars today than they've ever been before, and that intelligence has to sync up with the experience of what that customer is expecting. So I think you've got two customers out there. You've got the one who says, well, how was your experience today in that car? And he say, you know what? It just gets me from A to B. Then you have that person like Larry who just, you know, who cars are everything. It's an extension of me. When I get in that car, it makes all the, all the, the, the bad karma that came today goes out the door because, you know, I'm in an extension of me. And I think that is uh, what we're trying to create. And that's putting pressure on these ecosystems and the factory to deliver that experience. Interesting. Larry, circling around the table to you, Larry Stoley, thoughts, please. Well, I, I like what Mike said. You know, he said the extension of me. He's talking about me personally. And, and, you know, I thought about that for just a nanosecond when he said it. And I said, wait a minute. You know, Kim's talking about, you know, radio tunes, you know, or iPod, you know, all that, or iPhone, that, that kind of stuff. And Mike's talking about the extension of personality and so on. And I thought about that just for a second and said, you know, that's exactly why when I drive, I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to anything else. I, you know, I don't, I listen to the sound of the wheels turning. I listen to the sound of the car. The car is indeed an extension of me, but in an entirely different way than Kim. Kim's vehicle is an extension of her. So all of a sudden, we're kind of unique, aren't we? I guess we are. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think we make that experience. Um, yeah. 
I remember my dad liked very functional cars. He was a, a doctor, an MD, and he didn't ever want to have MD on his license plate because in New York, I know we were he was protected by the Good Samaritan Law, but he was always afraid he'd be stopped on the highway or flagged down if there was something wrong. And he was a radiologist, so he couldn't just mend bones and do things like that. That wasn't his specialty. But he always liked station wagons, very functional, right, Larry? Yeah. Make sure he could just, we didn't haul a lot of stuff around, but when we went back and forth to our other house, he needed to bring stuff. And one day he got a midnight blue what was it uh i want to say it wasn't a cutlass supreme it was a midnight blue something huge oldsmobile it was gorgeous it was magnificent and i think he had trouble understanding that that car just really felt beautiful when you got inside it it felt great so when he and mom went on a trip to i think asia at one point they left me with that car, and I drove it to high school every day for a week, and I picked up a couple friends. I was a very responsible driver, a very straight shooter, but I got to tell you, just getting in that car, my personality was, look, I'm in this elegant, beautiful, sleek boat of a car. Larry, you remember how, well, Mike, oh, yeah. can you remember how big those things were? Very interesting. So dad had to, I think it had to kind of push his personality into accepting that, yes, I am comfortable. I can afford a car that is really, really beautiful and makes a different kind of statement. I'm, I know I'm getting off the topic, but uh, you just made me think about that, Mike. Hot rods and heavy metal, your car was an extension of your personality. Sometimes I think it helped to get you comfortable in your persona and where you are in life. Very interesting. Uh, we're, I'm going to circle around. Let's see. We have plenty of time. I want to go to about the art of driving. I'm going to move, Kim, I'm going to move over to Mike's list. I think we've talked about uh, your topic and I want to move over to Mike says, the always connected car, self-driving, self-starting, self-parking, self-correcting, always network. The art of driving is becoming obsolete. Mike, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Okay, uh, use my personal opinion. Uh, I'm not so sure it is a good thing, um, and I just tell you why. You know, people are so dependent on the backup camera or those sensors. You know, they they've lost the art of driving. What happens if that camera goes out? People can't back anymore. Remember when you used to go through driver's ed? You had to, you know, the, the weighted cones, and you had to come in at the right angle. We had we're losing that artistry of what driving was all about, what I think, you know, the Henry Fords and the Daimlers and the, the, the uh, you know, when they invented the, the, the cars, they had in mind for, for that driver. So, I mean, technology to a good, to a point is good. It helps, right? Helps make it safer. But sometimes I think we can go a little too far in these cars and this self-driving, self-parking that we lose the ability to understand how a car functions. And what do we do when we don't have that smart car? What if you fly somewhere and you get a rental car and that car is not as smart as yours? Can you drive it? Do you become more safe or do you become more dangerous on the highway? So I think we're we're becoming too reliant on technology sometimes and we need to go back to the basics. I like Larry, turn turn some of that technology off and just drive. Mm, Fall back in love with what driving in, in the car is all about. Absolutely. I like that. Mike, I'm going to stretch that topic to one more in your list here because this is where I really wanted to go, but I wanted to hear you say that. You say smart factories require machine learning and self-correcting. Now we're talking about the factory, not just the car. So why don't you bring us up to speed on this technology called machine learning? What does that have to do with smart factories? Well, you know, it's if the, the challenge right now that we see in, in the automotive from a manufacturing standpoint is 
getting to the point to do mass customization at the same cost, same speed as you're doing mass production. You used to do mass production. Every car is going to be different. Every car is customized for that individual uh, customer. And you're producing a car every 88 seconds. Or you're producing an engine that's going to feed into that car every 39 seconds. That's speed. So, you know, you cannot have in an automated environment on these factories that, that we're seeing, you cannot have that automation be out of sync. If you see a tolerance start moving in one direction, we're putting enough intelligence in our, you know, in the software that's managing these machines to say, okay, correct yourself back. And it's not just sequential. Machine 10 has got to look all the way down the production line at machine you know, 60 and say, okay, I see what it's doing. I need to correct down here so that that whole line, we have to look at things not monolithically, but look at it as it is connected all the way up and down the production line. And I think that is the big challenge. Nobody is using a factory to make a single car. You know, our customers are making, let's take an engine factory that's making four-cylinder petrol, diesel, V6, petrol, diesel, V8, petrol, diesels that are configured for the area that that car is going to go to all in a single production line, all tied together. And it's all because the level of information that we have and can analyze and control that automation that's going into these factories today. Very interesting. Larry, let's circle around to you. What do you think? Machine learning, smart factories, is it there yet? When is it coming to a smart factory near you? Soon? Well, I, you know, it, it's definitely coming. It's ha- definitely happening right now. And, and the pace of machine learning, the pace of artificial intelligence is going to accelerate. And, and this is something I want to talk about in a future show because it's profound. It's going to have a huge impact on not only manufacturing, but on everything we do. And, you know, it's here. We need to take advantage of it. We need to, to jump on the bandwagon and understand that, Machine learning, the way machines adapt to each other, compensate for each other, support each other, is just like the human networks of the past. You know, you, you drop the ball, I'll pick the ball up for you. Machines are learning to do that same thing and keeping things optimized, moving uh, in the right direction at the right pace with the right quality. So it, it's here. It's, it's going to get um, even greater. And who needs a human? Well, we were talking about opportunities for jobs, Larry. Now you're going back on that. We said we were talking with Tim about training down in the the elementary grades for kids to understand what's going to be, not just what's expected of them, but but what the opportunities will be when they get farther along and and when they can start eyeing a career. My goodness. It, it kind of is. Kim, any thoughts on this? Is Larry right? Who needs a human? Wait, we don't need them to drive. We don't need them to manufacture. What are we going to do? Just sit around and talk about it on the radio all day? I'm okay with that. But what about everybody else? I don't know. Well, Kim? you know, I, I, I know Larry's, Larry's being a little bit uh, flippant there. But, I, you know, I think that if we look at the, the benefits of machine learning, um, they translate into things like, you know, being able to do preventative and predictive maintenance, um, automated maintenance, uh, also quality control and quality adaptation. But there's still a there's still a human behind that. It's really augmented intelligence, right? It's still helping a person make a decision about quality levels and um, and how much should be produced and what should be produced. So it. You, you still have to have that smart person um, 
using or influencing, you know, how we use the machines. And designing everything. Come on. It, it, let me ask a question. Sure. Michael, yeah. circle it to you and let's go around the table. When it comes to designing cars, I don't know if we're going to go back to the boat-like cars of when, when my dad bought that beautiful big midnight blue boat that I love to drive. Or we see sleeker and sleeker cars. Remember the Gullwing? Uh, yes, the DeLorean and the cars you couldn't figure out how to get in or out of them. But people who were rich enough to afford them could have somebody show them how to do it. Uh, the cars of the future, are they going to be more beautiful? Are they going to be an aesthetic experience talking back Kim's words about the experience ecosystem for the car will visuals and aesthetics be part and if so can a robot design a beautiful car that humans would love to have in the driveway or or wherever you go to put your your, uh, bitcoin in the virtual machine to say I need that car for two hours to go to the mountains to go skiing and then I'll bring it back so Mike who's going to be the designer if we don't have people well, Bonnie, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder, right? Uh, what know. this you talk about slick and and then I think it will be more aerodynamic. I'm not sure sure that robots are going to do the design. You know, maybe somewhere in the future. What I do see is that you have a physical car, so you have the physical world, and you have this digital twin, and you're taking the as design and the as built and the as maintained and the as performed data, rolling it back in to the digital product side of the house to change the way that design is to make that car, car more auto, you know, more aerodynamic. And that may come to more sleeker cars. I mean, I, I don't think we go out and buy a box. Um, I mean, there's a few cars out there that will like a box, but most of them there's this, this eye-catching uh, piece of the car that just grabs your attention. And that's coming from that design. So what I see is a more connected of how the car is performing, how it's maintained, how it was built, feeding back into development to design that car with better gas mileage, with both batteries, taking advantage of technology, the hybrid car, the battery car, but the aerodynamics that gives you that better driving experience. So the question is, I'm not sure that you, I'm not so sure I would predict that you're going to have you know, robots, robots designing the next generation car, I think our designers are going to have more information about their customers, about how the car performs uh, in the total life cycle of that car than they've ever had before to make better designs. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, let me jump in there and be a little bit provocative. So I think that there is a possibility that we could use machines to do the design and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna separate the design process here to be the the stuff that Mike is talking about, which is really important. Only a small percentage of the design is really about looks. A lot of it is about making all the technology components and the mechanical, the electrical, the software um, work together, the systems engineering piece. And a lot of that I agree. I think the digital twin is absolutely one of the, the um, most important things for um, supporting that experience that customers want from the um, the design of the car to the service. But I, you know, I think that um, we have not even been uh, we're not even able to understand the possibility for machines um, with cognitive computing 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're, where we lack today is the, the real disconnect between the consumer and what the consumer really wants and what we actually design and produce today. So what if there was a way to collect all sorts of information about what people really like about the visual aspects of design and create, um, in other words, design more models than we create today. You look at some of these um, automotive OEMs, and they have a really limited portfolio. And they're all based off of the same platforms or a limited number of platforms. But what if we could get to the, um, to the, the design variability that consumers really want through machine, uh, machine design? I like that idea. I kind of do. I guess if you put in uh, the colors and the shape and you, you, you do a, a, a survey or what would it be? Would it be a, uh, what do we call it? A focus group, Kim? On, uh, if you could afford a car in this price range, what would you expect aesthetically in addition to all of these innovations? The experience. Funny, I think it's, it's going to be even odder than that in the future. What if it's <laughs> just that there's, you know, there's technology today to watch how people's eyes move what they look at on screen. I mean, what if you just collected all of this data in terms of why people turned their head to look at something? And I mean, we're getting way off in the future, but. Kim, you are <laughs> scaring me. You are scaring me. I, I don't see any cameras here in my office, but you never know. Maybe Larry's got one here. I don't know. What is she, where is she looking? Is she looking at, is she looking at the Twitter screen? Is she looking at the cars going by outside while she's on the radio? Very interesting. Larry Stoley, it's time. We're almost past due for the crystal ball predictions round, but you know, we really have been talking about the future. Smart factories, smart cars, smart drivers, smart robots, smart experience ecosystems. So we've been dipping our toe into that future pool for the whole episode. But Larry, why don't I give each of you two sentences on, let's say, the future of smart factories that give birth to smart cars by the year 2020. Why don't you tell me something really provocative, Larry? Two sentences, your prediction, then two for Kim, two for Mike, and then we'll wrap it up. All right, I'll give you 60 seconds. Go ahead, Larry. Two long sentences. All right. In a previous show, I... I mentioned the the phrase digitals versus dinosaurs. And we were talking about connected vehicles, driverless vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and so on. And I see the same thing in in smart factories. You're going to see the digitals versus the dinosaurs play out. And the digitals are the modern thinkers, the people who are driving and, and creating the smart factories, the things that are in them. The dinosaurs are the existing labor, labor force and, and all of those types of things. And there's going to be a chasm between the two, the dinosaurs and the digitals. And at some point in the future, 2020, 2025, 2030, that chasm is going to continue to narrow and narrow and narrow. And the dinosaurs are either going to die off or evolve into something more digital. So the future I have is there are digitals today, there are dinosaurs today, they will become closer and closer, and at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to tell them apart in 2020, 2025, 2030. Thank you. Kim Nickel, i give you exactly 60 seconds. We're really tight here. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, my prediction is that um, we're going to see the majority of plant floor workers um, using automated assistance technologies, so uh, robotics, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, um, and augmented reality and virtual reality tools. Thank you. Brief and to the point, Mike Lackey, I have 60 seconds for you on the dot. Look, the physical world is going to collide with the digital world. It's going to collide with the business world. 
And that's what's going to drive the future of, of automotive. And that's what we should be looking at, how those three worlds collide and come together to add value to the end user. Repeat those three worlds for me. I want to put it in my tweet right now. What did you say, Mike? The digital, the physical world is going to collide with the digital world. It's going to collide with the business world. How we okay. manage through this is going to drive the future of automotive manufacturing. Thank you very much. Very profound. Got the got a good one in there, Larry. I think you have a part two and part three out of this one for sure. Oh yeah. I want to thank I want to thank Larry Stoley and Kim Nickel at IDC, Mike Lackey at SAP. Good energy, good thought leadership, good panel, and Bonnie D. Graham. And let's see, we have to do a shout out, of course, to Michael, our engineer, our engineer extraordinaire, who gets us on the air and keeps us there, as I like to say. And uh, Larry, what's next on your next episode in a couple of weeks? Just a quickie. What do you got? I'm not really sure yet. I'm thinking about artificial intelligence, machine learning. I'm thinking about, uh, I'm noodling what Mike said. That that just kind of struck a key. There so we'll go. find something to build on. We sure will. Three weeks we'll be back with another episode of The Future of Cars with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in an hour with one of our new series, Partnerships, Digital Transformation with Game Changers, talking about a regular wet signature, we call it, or a digital e-signature and how it can change your business, your business models, and everything you do in life. My goodness, imagining not have to print out that contract to get a signature and scan it back. What if it could all be done digitally? It's magic. Fasten your seatbelt. Here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you at 12 noon here on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.